Hi everyone, Chris here from the Geology Podcast Network. Thanks so much for listening to this episode of Nice Chats. We are excited to announce a new podcast called Storybook Earth that is hosted by Dr. Jess Kapp, who is a professor of geology at the University of Arizona. Come and join Jess while she explores the exciting stories the rocks have to tell from glaciation to fault zones, spanning from the Holocene all the way through to the Hydean. Hope to see you there. Hello, my fellow geoscience aficionados. You are listening to Nice Chats from the Geology Podcast Network. I am Dr. B. And in each episode, I will interview an expert in various areas in geoscience and share with you a little bit of their knowledge and expertise in the research of geological problems. Each of our episodes has a central theme. And since we'll have an expert walk us through the various subjects, you don't need to worry about having any previous knowledge of what we'll be talking about. As long as you're passionate about the study of geology, I, with the help of our guest, will take care of feeding you all the information you need in a casual and fun environment. UHT milk is ultra-pasteurized milk that comes in sterilized containers. What does that have to do with today's episode? Nothing. Absolutely nothing. The UHT we're going to talk about today also stands for ultra-high temperature. But in this case, it describes the temperature conditions of a metamorphic event. And to teach us a bit about what to expect in these hot scenarios, I'm joined today by Professor Maida Tedeschi. Maida is part of a new generation of professors that are rocking the house over at my alma mater, UFMG, in Brazil. Let's talk about ultra-high temperature rocks. Hey, Maida, how are you? Hi, Dr. B. I'm fine. Hi, Dr. Bella. Thank you for inviting me. <laughs> yeah, thank you so much for, um, for agreeing to participate of this nice chat episode. Uh, what, is, what is happening with the paper that we're writing together? We need to do some more stuff for that. Huh? Uh, don't even tell me about it. <laughs> <laughs> it's, uh, it's very much within the theme of today's episode. Though. Yeah, sure. Yeah, I'm very excited to, to have this uh, released, hopefully. Yeah. You will have yeah, some yeah, news about work. that soon. I promise. Oh, yeah. <laughs> okay, good. <laughs> um, so something I wanted to ask you before we get started. What are the uh, subjects that you teach at uh, UFMG? So currently uh, I have been teaching um, mineralogy. So I, mm -hmm. I teach like uh, mineralogy with focus in crystallography. And also now I have this new subject that I have teached this term that it was uh, mineralogy for non-silicates. So it was mainly for or uh, minerals. It was quite interesting too for me because I want to get closer to economic geology. So it was a step oh, dude, in this yeah. direction. I mean, I have a, I have a few thin sections that I can, uh, you know, 
I can negotiate with you if you want to borrow them. Wow, I I will. I am really interested <laughs> for sure, mm -hmm. and um, and I also teach uh, for postgraduate for the postgraduation program. I teach a bit of uh, how to deal with uh, compositional maps using XMAP oh, okay. tools, but uh, not only for the software itself, but also. I mean, with the metamorphic thought about this, and uh, yeah. and we also extrapolate that for the areas like uh, economic geology and igneous petrology, and it's quite interesting course too. So I'm enjoying a lot. No, that's cool. Yeah, it's. Uh, I did suspect that you teach mineralogy because one time me and Sylvia we had this very interesting thin section with this very very beautiful dumortierite. And it was, uh, it's not a common mineral. And we were really, you know, cracking our heads, trying to figure out what it was. We had to take it into the SEM and check out the composition. And it was really, really hard for us to finally figure out what it was. And by the time we figured it out, I was like, oh, this is awesome. I'm going to share on Instagram and ask people what do they think it is. And I'm sure that, you know, nobody's going to get it. Within like one minute, you were like, do more tea <laughs> I was like, damn it! <laughs> but I have to say, this is one of the most beautiful minerals that I have ever seen because I'm I'm very enthusiastic about uh, seeing sections, especially with for minerals that have uh, that show blockeries. So I was yeah. always fasc fascinated about this, and I feel it's like hometown for us because it's related to Espinhaço. So it's like. Uh, yeah really in our hearts for people that uh, study in UFMG because we go there several times so it's really um feels really connected to our beginning you know for university yeah definitely sure um so i know that you have listened to a couple of episodes before but in case we have new listeners joining in here in nice chats we have the habit of starting every episode with a game to break the ice. Oh. And today we're gonna play Mind Speleology. Today's game is called Mind Speleology because basically I'm going to map what goes on inside your head. Consider it a free therapy session. And don't be scared, I'm a doctor. It says so on my Twitter handle, okay? I'm already scared. <laughs> <laughs> so it's, but look, there is no need to be scared. It's a simple uh, word association game. I'm gonna say a word, and then you have to tell me the first geology-related thing that comes into your mind. For example, if I say podcast, you can say... Nice chat. <laughs> Obviously, that. There you go. Ready? Okay, let's go for it. Let's go. Fragile. Schist. Schist. Mm. Oh man. Okay, that's that's fair enough. I mean, uh, if you're if you're in the habit of uh, sampling some myelonites and granites, you know, schist uh, does seem very fragile. Especially if they come from Brazil. I think that my answer would be the torch from the mass spectrometer. Ah. Because if you've ever, re like, if you've ever tried to take one of those out, man, every time that I had to do that, I mean, by, by, by the end of, um, 
of uh, the time that I was actually working in the lab every day. I got used to it, but at the beginning, I was always super scared that I was going to break something because they are very thin as well. So, I yeah. totally agree with you. It's just that you had <laughs> more like a lead mind and I had a field mind for exactly. this one. Exactly. It's yeah, it's a, it's a reflex of my, you know, my um, recent adventures in the lab, let's say. But it's funny that Mayra said schist. Because I, I wouldn't have thought about schist on Fragile, but now that I think about it, when I was in the field in Australia, I remember that the sample schist were always the one that we wrapped up in sample bags <laughs> very, very carefully in order not to lose, like, and yeah. put it, like, keep it together, you know? Oh, man, you actually have that sample full of uh, andalusite mm. that uh, we are trying to bring from Australia. It's in the, it's actually in mm. the ship stuck in the Canal of Suez. <laughs> in the Suez Channel. So it's stuck in the ship in the Suez Channel, but it's coming, you know, we'll arrive here surely before Christmas. Um, and it's, uh, I don't know, I did my best job trying to wrap it up, but I'm not sure if it's gonna make it, you know. I hope so. Okay, next word, frosty. Oh, uh, tylite? I don't know. What? <laughs> what did you say? Tea light, tie light? I don't know how to pronounce it. Oh, tie light. Oh, okay. Yeah. Frost. Man, that's a, that's a good answer. That's a good answer. Yeah, it's tea light. <laughs> All right. Next one. Tasty. Tasty. Man, I, I, I would say ultra high temperature if I want to go for, <laughs> for our episode. But to be very honest, I thought about ultra high pressure rocks. <laughs> oh, uh, they are tasty. I would, I would, have, say, I would have guessed the uh, argillite. Arg ah, oh, yeah. Is it, how do you? Mudstone. Mm, I would have said mudstone. Mud yeah, that's true. Mm. Yeah, although... Yeah, I don't know. Maybe if they have some uh, organic matter, they taste a bit better, you know. The very silica-rich ones, mm, not really my taste. But I think that the ultra-high temperature, at least they are well-cooked, so... <laughs> <laughs> uh, must, be, must be tasty. Okay, next word is colorful. Colorful. Ah, thin section. Thin sections, yeah. yeah. First thing that popped <gasps> oh, into my mind no! was the meteorite. Sorry. I have to change that. It would be compositional maps. Pierre cannot hear me <laughs> saying that. <laughs> well, too bad, Maida, because oh. that was the answer that you rationalized. <gasps> but this game is all about, you know, snap decisions. Let's go totally against to go me. With <laughs> <laughs> okay, next one. Heavy. Heavy. Hum hammer. <laughs> hammer. Uh, yeah, you see, you need to do some CrossFit like Sylvia. <laughs> she doesn't think it's heavy. <laughs> yeah, that's true. You guys, I, I'm about oh, to... Are working on it? Huh? Yeah. I saw. Mm, definitely. But I have to tell you that I got inspired by you, but still not that much. <laughs> so please keep <laughs> posting on Instagram too, so that I can feel motivated about. Uh, okay, next word is bag. Oh, that's tough. Yeah, not supposed to be easy. Come on, Maida, bag. First thing that comes into your mind, bag. Yeah, backpack. <laughs> I don't know about yeah, okay. field trip. <laughs> fair enough, fair enough, yeah. You need to carry your food. I can only think about uh, field trip right now. I don't know why. Maybe because I miss that, yeah. Yeah, that's exactly. <laughs> okay, progressive. Metamorphism. Oh, man, I would think uh, deformation. Me too. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. 
That's the difference between the structural and the metamorphic background. Maybe. But we have to agree that they they work together much better, right, Sylvia? Definitely, for sure. <laughs> I couldn't agree more. True, true, true. Yeah. The only reason why I answer the formation is because uh, Josia used to teach me a lot about the formation, so it just pops into my into my mind. Okay, late. Uh, late crystallization. Zircon late crystallization. <laughs> The first thing that pops into my mind is a few of my uh, undergrad colleagues at the time late to get the bus yeah. and um, Kafunka would uh, leave them behind and they get like, you know, a bad grade. That was my <laughs> second thought for sure. <laughs> <laughs> Man, so funny, honestly. Yeah, sometimes, you know, the undergrads, they can uh, go a little bit... Uh, too high, too heavy on the beers, mm. and uh, you know, next day have a bit of a tough time waking up in time for the for the bus. Okay, <laughs> last one, pattern. Trace elements pattern. Ah, there you go. And a big garnet crystal in my mind. <laughs> <laughs> hey guys, just to be clear, I was never one of those late students, okay? Me and my best friend from uni, Polly, we would always be there early and sit right next to the professor. If you hear a rumor that my dad had to drive me 50 kilometers to drop me off at the first outcrop, just, just ignore that, okay? That, that didn't happen. Uh, if you have any ideas for future episodes or guests, please write to our email nicechats at gmail.com. We would love to hear from you. You can also follow us and message us on our social media pages, which are listed also in the show notes. Uh, please subscribe to Nice Chats with Dr. B and tell your friends about the show as well. If you like our podcast, please give us a five-star review. Okay, Maida, I feel like things are starting to heat up over here. Uh, can I ask you a few questions about UHT? Yeah, definitely. That's what I came for. So, <laughs> so UHT stands for ultra-high temperature. So am I correct to assume that it describes really, really super-duper hot stuff? In more scientific terms, what do we mean when we say ultra-high temperature conditions? Uh, we are talking about uh, granulitic rocks that uh, reach temperatures above 900 degrees in, mm -hmm. for pressures uh, between 7 and 13 kilobars. So it's um, this, you are right, it's really, really, really hot <laughs> temperatures. Oh, and for all of our American listeners, might have said above 900 uh, degrees Celsius. Um, get your calculators out and please put a stop on this Fahrenheit nonsense. <laughs> uh, so where in the world do we have records of ultra-high temperature terrains? Like what are some of the more famous ones maybe? We have uh, ultra-high temperature terrains spread all over the world. That's something really nice. And also spread uh, through geological time, so of different uh, ages. And I would say some of the most famous ones are the Leowisian complex that Sylvia is currently investigating. 
Uh, it's very interesting and uh, one of the most investigated examples as well. And the Napier complex in Antarctica as well. Mm-hmm. And uh, we have actually one uh, example very well uh, studied here in Brazil as well, the Annapolis complex. So it's a mm-hmm. quite interesting example. I would say, yeah, some in Europe as well, and in China, you have it spread all over, yeah. Uh, yeah, I think that uh, to me, maybe because I was at Curtin, but I have this impression that Norway is like super Ah, yes, well, yes, you know? definitely. Norway has a very... Yeah. Yeah. It's, a, it's a tiny little country, but uh, has so many geological papers, just because it has these awesome rocks that are very strange and and look amazing yeah well. they have amazing textures in rockland in norway yeah definitely and clinoperoxine textures with coronas yeah definitely mm, yeah very beautiful and uh which ones have you visited personally or worked with samples from so uh to be honest the only one i have visited myself is the one i investigated uh during my phd here in Brazil. Mm-hmm. It's close to this example okay. I have mentioned. It's part of the same origin. Mm-hmm. It's the Socorro Guachupé Napi um, Ultra High Temperature Tehen. It's a mm-hmm. bit uh, southern. And uh, and I would like to to visit this other place, but I have only uh, read a lot in the literature, but I haven't visited them yet. Not yet. Yeah, so if you're listening to this podcast and you um, have a planned visit to an ultra-high temperature terrain that you think is interesting and that Maida should visit, please, you know, contact her and invite her over. Yeah, definitely. So she can see some rocks. <laughs> yeah. So I will invite you to our... Uh, we are planning to do a field, uh, a field work uh, uh, unit for the student uh, at Kub here in Bochum mm. uh, and probably will be in, uh, in the Louisian complex. So we'll tell you when we do that, so you oh, you might be able to tag along. That's that's great, Sylvia. I would be very happy to join. Okay, so when and where was this term first established? Ultra high temperature. So uh, they they first they identified this uh, mineral assemblage that it's like uh, considered diagnostic for for ultra high temperature. That it's uh, like uh, with the sapphire and quartz. So it was in 1990, but uh, they didn't mention this term back then. They didn't call it ultra high temperature. And it was later that uh, they, how do you, do you say, like that they, they defined, the yeah, term. that they coined the, the, the term. I think it was uh, Halley in 1998 around. Okay, cool. I can tell that you are in Brazil because I can hear so many dogs barking. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I'm sorry. I have everything closed, but still. How can we know that we are looking at ultra-high temperature rocks? What are the signs of it? So, uh, this is actually a bit tough depending on the composition that you have for the rock and uh, because i mean the most um, diagnostic uh, mineral assemblages they are found in 
in rocks that are rich in magnesium and aluminum. And uh, these are actually special um, examples. So we have like, uh, they, they are not even sure what uh, are the protolites for these rocks. So it's quite uh, controversial. And uh, so if you have um, this type of rocks, then you can find like uh, these assemblies that I have said, sapphire plus quartz and uh, some other mineral assemblies that are diagnostic also with os osmolite and uh, you can um, really state that these are ultra high temperature but you also have like uh, if you have saffron it's not like 100% um, that it will be ultra high temperature but indicates to you that uh, it's a good candidate but when you go for other compositions and then you have um, like mafic rocks, you cannot go directly uh, from the mineral assemblage. So you have to really try uh, other techniques and investigate the composition of this uh, mineral assemblage to uh, the, the chemical composition of this assemblage to really uh, state that it's uh, ultra high temperature. So you have to go a bit into detail. And um, yeah, so you have also like if you have uh, autoperoxine, um, aluminum rich autoperoxine with silimonite and quartz, it's also a, a diagnostic mineral assemblage. And uh, mm -hmm. but uh, you have usually you have to go uh, and look into detail for the chemical composition. Mm -hmm. and, yeah, and you mentioned uh, at the start of our interview that these uh, UHT rocks, they have temperatures above 900 degrees. Would you also be able to classify a terrain as ultra-high temperature from a PT estimations, from estimations of pressure and temperature condition? Yeah, that's, that's uh, what I meant with the mineral composition because then you can use this mineral composition and you have you use the book rock composition and the mineral composition to to track the evolution and state water use the isoplates with the composition of the minerals to understand what are the peak conditions so um mm -hmm. for example we have garnet in several um pt conditions but uh when we are investigating then with thermodynamic modeling and compositional maps and mineral composition we can track and say that uh, a specific composition of the garnet was crystallized in that uh, ultra high temperature or high temperature the the challenge here is it's like everything for ultra high temperature is that uh, the temperatures that we have in these conditions are so high that they are very prone to erase our our relics of this stage. So it's uh, even if we have like diffusion and other process acting, uh, also like uh, dissolution acting in other conditions, at this stage they are even worse. I mean, worse in the sense that they are working much better and uh, they are more efficient. So if we have like a small garnet crystal, we can we probably won't have um, these conditions preserved. But if we have large crystals, then we could still um, retrieve some information about this PTT, this PT path. Mm -hmm. So we have to 
look at the heterogeneities of these rocks also because usually they are like Migma types. So you have um, different domains and they will uh, give you give us information uh, about different states of the rocks as well. So we have like in the residuum, because it's drier, we, um, it's, it's more likely that we will have information about these higher conditions, but you also can have some uh, preserved in the locosome, but it's uh, in the neosome, but it's also that in the neosome, you have a lot of the history of crystallization during the cooling of the rock. So you have to have mm -hmm. your eyes uh, open and really evaluate with careful each stage. You cannot, I mean, I think the takeaway message from these rocks is that you cannot uh, state uh, that there is only one answer. You have to to have your heart open to understand the whole <laughs> history and to understand each part and not to try to get um, straightforward information for, for these domains. Yeah, right. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So yeah, if I understood correctly, uh, the pressure and the temperature conditions, they are basically going to control the chemistry of some minerals, as well as the mineralogy that is formed actually. Mm -hmm. And you can pretty much you backtrack from what you observe. So the chemistry that you measure in the minerals and the mineralogy that you observe right now, mm -hmm. you backtrack it to um, estimate what were the conditions that uh, created uh, this particular chemistry or this assemblage or something like that. However, what you're saying too is that because these are um, very high and uh, special temperature, temperature and pressure conditions, that you can have you know posterior processes that actually affect um, this uh, chemical distribution of elements within these uh, minerals and rocks, and that you have to be careful about that and not just jump to any conclusions. Yeah. Exactly, Victor. Yeah, it's a, it's a common occurrence in geology that the answer is not so straightforward because you're trying to investigate a process that happened, but then that uh, afterwards was uh, reshaped and remodified by a bunch of other later processes. And we talked about that, for example, in the episode with Bruna mm -hmm. about melt inclusions, of how useful information melt inclusions are because after they are formed, there are so many processes that take place that can actually alter what was the initial composition of the melt. Yeah. So yeah, it's, uh, it's something that geologists have to always be careful with. And, and uh, also in, in uh, economic geology, which is a bit more my field, uh, there's so much debate always about what is the, the driving force of mineralization in a few cases, because you, know, you might have redistribution of... Uh, of elements you might have remobilization of uh, of uh, or mineralogy and all of that and uh, yeah it's uh, it's always a, a complicated uh, subject in geology let's say yeah it's complicated but it's really charming as well yeah definitely <laughs> um and uh, and then so we talked about how we use the chemistry to estimate the pt conditions mm -hmm. but then how can you tell in what moment in time they happen yeah so um we uh, so this uh, first part I mentioned, it was mainly based on um, major minerals, but we also investigate the accessory minerals. Uh, mainly we investigate accessory minerals to, to constrain the time uh, in which these conditions happen. 
what we we want to do it's like to apply petrochronology when we combine these thermodynamic conditions these uh, pressure and temperature conditions to a specific process by uh, connecting this process through trace elements or the composition of an inclusion in the accessory mineral that will provide us the um, the time constraint so okay uh my next oh yeah this one is funny this is a controversial one how long do these processes last for because lately it seems like you know every other day i'll hear something about protracted metamorphism you know <laughs> yeah so how long i mean from what uh, i have seen in the literature it's a uh, recon that uh, you can have very short um duration like since uh, five million years until like uh, nowadays you have like a description even in, in Lewisian complex uh, 200 million years even though you cannot really say that uh, ultra high temperature metamorphism lasted for 200 million years but I mean they reckon that you can have it for a long time and before uh, people were mostly associated uh, they were mostly understanding these uh, terrains as uh, passing through several episodic um, events, but now there are some evidence that uh, they are actually related to a prolonged metamorphism. But uh, the the challenge is to to say what what's the period related to ultra high temperature within the the prolonged high grade metamorphism. That's that's the the issue. In what type of geological context can ultra high temperature be recorded? So this is also very interesting because you can have ultra high temperature metamorphism in different types of geological settings and uh, so you can have it during a creationary evolution of an origin or you can have it in intracontinental um intercontinental uh, origins as well you can have it during the collision uh, mainly related to the hydrogenic heating that you have during the mountain formation and you can have it uh, related to extension so in heaps and uh, so it's quite diverse the geological settings yeah okay that's interesting um do you think that um, in the past, i.e. Precambrian, so over 540 million years ago and older, uh, more favorable conditions for the formation of these, uh, you know, ultra-high temperature terrains existed compared to Phanerozoic geological settings, so more recent um, geological history. Yeah, so before I was more like prone to say that yes, it was more common in the past, but when you look at the compilations like uh, those present by Palin and Brown, you can see that their uh, distribution is quite uh, common through the geological time and uh, it's more like related to, to the um formation of supercontinents so you have like of course you can have during the heating so you also have like in, in between these uh supercontinents as well but uh most of occurrences are you can correlate them 
So uh, when you look at this information, I think it's it's not so clear that uh, you have less now than before. But still, you I would say it's more like uh, that you can correlate to these um, episodes. And I know that you also have um, an outreach initiative, right? Petrochronics. Mm -hmm. uh, what is it exactly? So yeah, Petrochronics. I uh, the idea came from this period that I spent in Ben because I enjoyed a lot to have like this um, research group that uh, we used to have like a weekend uh, week meetings. So it was really interesting because even though we were not working in the same subject. I learned a lot from uh, participating and hearing the discussion from my colleagues, and they uh, and I thought that's really motivating to have someone to show like the the weekly uh, discussion, like uh, your improvement and your doubts, to have other people brainstorming with you. So I thought uh, that would be very nice to 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 have. And so we started with the, so Petrochronics is like, you have two brands, you have like the uh, research group uh, in which we have like these week, uh, weekly uh, meetings and we also do uh, the research and we also have the extension branch in which, uh, in, in which we promote like uh, scientific uh, dissemination, workshops, and now we have like the PTT talk. Uh, that we will have you two guys soon. So we have uh, several collaborators that uh, have the same aim, that it's like to work in petrochronology. And so we want to discuss, we want to have this um, net of collaborators working together and take the best from each one. So uh, one person is a uh, specialist in, in compositional maps, the other one in dating, the other one in modeling. And we want to promote that those people work together. And we also want to share this with other people because we think it's so motivating. So um, we have a small group uh, that are working. So it's, um, it's mainly people from, from Belo Horizonte. So Marco, mm -hmm. Cristina, Mari. Lucas and Hugo, we are focused in the extension part, and um, yeah, we we want to organize this. Um, we want to organize these uh, talks, um, and also we have like our Instagram and Twitter, in which we we share um, the research from our collaborators, some scene section, nice scene section photos and field trip memories as well. And uh, we want to promote also some meetings and workshops in the future. So that's it. That's nice. Yeah. Yeah, I think that uh, Marco especially produces some uh, beautiful thin section pictures that, you know, yeah. could compare to the ones from um, Strakaiser and... Uh, and Bernardo. And, and yeah, Cesare, Cesare yeah, it's great. <laughs> I don't, I mean, they are super great those photos. And Marco, yeah, he definitely has amazing photos, and he is um, scene section enthusiastic. So he has several great photos, definitely. Yeah, that's good. Yeah, uh, we'll we'll put the um, the link to the Petrochronics Twitter and Instagram, and people can you know 
check out the nice pictures. They can also um, hear about uh, future talks and workshops and all of that. Yeah. Uh, speaking of hot, the next three questions are going to be a bit more personal. Okay. In this podcast, we like to ask always the same three questions at the end of every episode. These are designed to make each guest a bit more familiar to the listener and to allow us to compare experiences and opinions across all of the geoscience research fields. First question is, how did you first decide to become a geologist? <laughs> Yeah, that's I was I was thinking trying to to remember what motivated me and I remember that uh, during my last year in high school I was uh, looking for possible careers and I thought ah oceanography would be really interesting because I love the sea and it would be nice and of course I come from from the inland so I thought it's an opportunity for me to <laughs> to live in the sea and I watched uh, some documentaries about uh, manganese nodules, and I thought I got fascinated by that, and um, I applied for oceanography. But I have also talked uh, with some people that said, "Ah, if you want to do oceanography, and if you are interested, like in this part of oceanography, you should go for geology, and then you can later go deeper in your investigation for for." This is specific team, and uh, because in also in the oceanography course you will have a lot of biology and other stuff that it's not really related to this, and then I decided to go to geology and uh, after first degree I got uh, vaccinated with um, mineralogy and yeah it was one way uh, to petrochronology after after <laughs> bachelor. That's it. Yeah, it's really nice. I, I actually I appreciated a lot when I was in the geological survey. Uh, they have um, research focusing these uh, manganese nodules here, and I thought uh -huh. it was really interesting, and I could see the samples and so on. But I wouldn't change. <laughs> there you go. Um... What are some of the specifics of the research that you are conducting at present? So uh, we have this research that we are writing <laughs> right now. <laughs> it's uh, related with the, uh, the effects of the ultra-high temperature in the zircon, uh, the trito zircon record, because as we discussed, there is a lot of... Uh, Zircon, this, the uranium light zircon system that we consider it's uh, robust, it's affected by these conditions. So we are trying to understand how that um, affected some of the tools that uh, are widely used in geology nowadays that are the provenance, uh, the trital zircon investigations. And um, I'm very curious to, to, I'm very curious and motivated to do this work. But I also have to admit that I'm quite diverse because when I was investigating those rocks from the Socorro Guachapé Napi, I found some really nice um, inclusions. 
and uh, in Zorko, mm-hmm. and they are they happen to be nano rocks inclusions. So I spent uh, three months uh, last year in Germany with uh, Silvio Ferreira, Dr. Silvio Ferreira, to investigate them, and they are quite interesting in Zorko. And I'm also working with the uh, ultra high pressure rocks, and uh, mm-hmm. this is also related to my PhD, but uh, back then they were not, uh, they didn't record that uh, high pressures, but now I'm investigating some rocks from Togo and they are really amazing. So I'm doing modeling. I'm working with uh, Raman that I got uh, really impressed uh, during the the NanoRocks uh, investigation that Bruna was uh, talking to your last uh, last episode and um, yeah so it's quite diverse <laughs> <laughs> nice yeah. that's nice I, I i enjoy diversity too yeah <laughs> uh, what do you enjoy doing when you are not geology so nowadays i really enjoy playing tennis since two oh, years nice. i start playing and i have to admit that i got addicted so sometimes mm-hmm. I play like five times per week or something like that. It's really wow, nice. Yeah, that's a lot. And um, yeah, during this social distancing, I I have to admit that I start liking cooking too. <laughs> oh man, look at that! <laughs> and uh, and and there is something I share with you guys that it's I really like. Um, I really enjoy learning German. Ah, there you go. Yeah. Yeah. One of us. That makes it one of us. Yeah, definitely. <laughs> <laughs> so we, uh, we actually, as, a, as an exercise, you know, we were talking about uh, having the phone in English and how that helps. Uh, we actually made our list, our grocery list in German now. Mm-hmm. And it's funny because we get to the supermarket and we were like, okay, we need to buy this. What is this? <laughs> like, we have no idea what it is. <laughs> so... Th- Defeats the purpose of the list. I was I was telling Siri, I was like, dude, let's make the list, but like just forget about the list and let's go random around the hall of the supermarket. Man, thank you, thank you, Maida, for talking to us today. Uh, this was uh, this was really great. I learned uh, a lot of new things about UHT. Uh, I confirmed some of the suspicions I had before, and I hope that our listeners uh, also enjoyed. Thank you guys for inviting me. It was great to have this nice chat with you too. Thank you, Mayra. Thanks a lot. Thank you, Silvia. Thank you, Professor Mayra Tedeschi, for teaching us about uh, ultra-high temperature metamorphism. Uh, Honestly, if your students are learning as much as we did today in every class, well, I'm very jealous of them. Uh, Please check out the show notes on ways to contact Mayra and find out more about her research. Nice Chats is part of the Geology Podcast Network and it is sponsored by Traveling Geologist. Follow Traveling Geologist on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter. More episodes of this and other GPN podcasts are available at travelinggeologist.com, but also wherever you get your podcasts like Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, If, like Maira, you study these highly metamorphosed rocks, well, by now you must have learned to not take things for granted.
The next episode of Nice Chats will be out in two weeks and will start a very exciting trilogy. In our first episode, we will learn more about the light side of the exploration force. See you then.